Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Over to Ephesians tonight, as you can notice in your Bible, you can see that we're coming down to the very end here. We're getting to the almost to the finish of Ephesians. Uh, I will let you know we're going into chapter number six tonight. Uh, and as we remember that we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at the river believe in the five solas. I'm going to go over them real quickly. We believe in the scriptures alone. We believe in faith alone. We believe in Christ alone. We believe in grace alone. We believe God alone receives the glory. And he certainly will receive the glory here tonight as we gather here in the house of the Lord to receive the word of the Lord. As we look in Ephesians chapter number 5 tonight, we're looking at verse 29. If you have it, I do hope you will turn there and follow along verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because that's how we do it here at the river. Looking at verse 29, if you remember the last time we were together, wives and husbands, has been the, the subject matter as we see this is the kitchen table of Ephesians. And whenever Paul the Apostle is preaching and teaching here, he's getting down to the, to the theology back at the kitchen table. He's bringing families together for dinner and he's breaking it down how husbands are to treat their wives and how wives are to treat their husbands. And we pick up in verse 29. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ does the church. Here he is reminding the Christian man his duty, because we've already heard of doctrine already from chapters 1 through 5, and now we're looking at duty from 5 and a half to 6. The duty of the Christian man is to nourish his wife, to cherish her. No one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. When you you have an understanding of theology and the relationship between Christ and the church it changes your life. It's, you don't treat church like a girlfriend. You don't treat your wife like a girlfriend. No, you treat her better. Here we see that, that Christ does for the church. He dies for the church. The man is called not to pursue his own dreams but to lay himself down, to sacrifice himself. That really puts a kink in a lot of men as who believe that they're the king of their own domain. They'll come home and they expect everybody to be in a line and everybody have his slippers and his pipe and he'll find his place beside the TV until dinner is done and then he finds himself in bed waking up in the morning going back to work being far removed of anything that takes place in the house being uh, uh, someone who is not even there he might be there physically but he's checked out because of the day's work he's calling us here from the text to be involved in the family life not to be someone who's just there in the body but their minds a million miles or down the road now I I know I'm preaching to myself and I'm preaching to every man here. It's more. You need to be more than just physically there. You need to be in that child's life talking to them about the small things. So when the child grows up, they'll talk to you about the big things. Amen. You need to be involved and involved with your spouse talking to her. And now maybe you're saying, well, I ain't married. I don't plan on getting married. But you need to know what a biblical marriage looks like. Amen. Because you have grand, you got grandchildren coming up. You got nieces and nephews. You have neighbors. You need to know. Maybe you say, well, we, we read in the book of Timothy and Titus what a pastor and the requirements of a deacon are. I'm not a deacon and I'm not a pastor, but you still need to know what the requirements of a deacon and a pastor are. Amen. Because it's involved in your life. You need to know what a godly marriage looks like even if you're single. Because you know single people, single Christians, and what they should expect. That, that, that baby girl shouldn't settle. That, she, that, that, that he lays hands on her and hits her. And you say, well, uh, that's not biblical, baby. I know the culture says that a man can use her and walk away. But that's not what God had intended. That's not what he calls godly men to do. So that's why you need to know. As we continue, he says in verse 30, because we are members of his body. How are you going to be a member of his body if you're not connected? How many of you have a disjointed finger, but when you move it, it hurts? But if you were to cut that finger off, it's not a member of your body anymore. Which one is going to die? The finger that's cut off and severed from the body or the body? That's why it's important to be in church. You see how we made that stretch there and reach for that? That we're members of the body. That's why we need to come together when the Father calls the family together. 
You may be a Christian for those who are listening by podcast and watching by television. And you say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not part of the body. That is not even possible. You can't do that. The Father calls the family together. And if you love the Father, when He calls the family together and you ignore Him, it it will affect the relationship between you and the Father. Definitely. And it will affect you. Amen. We're mighty quiet here on a Sunday night, but it's it's true. The family has come together on a Sunday and we're breaking bread. We're working this thing out with fear and trembling together. And we do it midweek. Every time the doors are open, we want to come together to have our faith strengthened like rhubarb and our backbones to stand firm in the faith and trust God in every avenue of our lives. So that's why he says that we're a part of the body. We're members of His body. Not everybody can be the neck. Everybody can be the wrist. But we're members of the body. Uh, The lesser members of our own bodies. We don't notice them until they start to ache. Who really notices that that muscle between your wrist and your elbow until it starts to hurt? You're like, oh, 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 I need that. That's important. I need that. So don't feel like you're a lesser member of the body. You're here to support something or somebody. Not everybody's a preacher, but everybody's a richer. Not everybody's a leader, but everybody is a pleader. Amen. As we see here, because we are members of His body, that if you wonder why our society, our culture, your local town, your city is in the, the state that it's in is because you have not reached yet. You have not helped yet. You have not gone to the local school and said, hey, is there anybody, any kids here that can't afford school lunches? If, they, if so, let me reach in my pocket and pay for the school lunch. Is there any teachers here who are just going through their hair is being pulled out? Can I talk to them for a minute and bring them a, a muffin and pray for them? Is there, is there uh, people who are working and putting out fires in my neighborhood who need help and just need a snack. How can I reach out and be the body of Christ putting legs on my prayers just more than just praying for my neighbor but walking across the lawn knocking on their door to the widow who's all alone and say, hey, can I bring you a casserole? Can I call somebody and say, hey, I just want to check up on you. I know you're going through but I want to let you know there's people who love you and are praying for you because if we're the body, why ain't we going? Well, if If we are His hands, why ain't we reaching? If we are His feet, why aren't we running after the people? Ooh, okay, let's keep going. We see it. Therefore, a man shall leave his, his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's why, that's why well, whenever they get married, don't, don't invite them back in. I understand things happen, but, but don't invite them back in. If there's a fight and, and baby girl comes knocking on your door and says, Daddy, he ain't listening, well, you, you set her down and say, Baby, go back to your husband. And try to encourage them and keep them together. Don't uh, shelter over her and keep her as hostage when he might want to work it out. Best things we can do is not get involved in marriages unless we're biblically supporting them and teaching them holiness and righteousness. Ooh, somebody just needed to hear it. Here he says that, that hold fast to his wife. So that means if you're going to lay down with her, that you need to be down with her all the time, able to support her. If you're going to take her into the bedroom, make sure that you're able to take her to church. Make sure you're able to take her to the doctor because you got insurance. Make sure you're able to take her out to eat because you got a job. That's how it works, young men who are listening and those who are watching. Whenever Adam was created by God, he had a job before he had a woman. He put him in the garden and said, till the ground, take care of my garden. And then the woman came along. Sometimes in our society, young men want to find a woman first and then they might get a job. Or they might drop her off at work in her car and drive around all day. That's a scrub. We don't need no more scrubs. What we need is godly men to stand up and lead households. We need men because far too long the women had to lead the church because men are in deer stands of playing games. But now God has called godly men to do what they're called to do. Lead the household and lead the church. That's why we got women pastors. The Bible says that he, the Bible, not the preacher, I'm just reporting the news, y'all. It's not my opinion. It's not in the culture. I know we're in a a time where you can't say men can do this and women can't do it. You're not. Well, the Bible says that the men is supposed to lead the household and the church because he says it in 1 and 2 Timothy, because of creation. Adam was over Eve. That's what he says. He goes back to the beginning. Has nothing to do with he can do it better, she can do it, or I'm called to do it. No, 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 no. He, He calls men to lead. The problem is there ain't no men leading. They're being led. 
Oh man, preacher, what you doing? He is to hold fast to his wife. That means he holds fast to her even if she's prickly, even if she's mean. Even if she looks like a pit bull and she looks at him, that means he holds fast to her. Even if he holds on to her and she wants to wiggle out of his arm, you don't give up. Far too long in cultures we've seen in the past where people were married 50, 60, 70 years because back in those days when something was broke, you didn't get rid of it, you worked on it. In our society today, if something breaks down, we just get another one, mass produce. We work on our fifth and sixth and seventh marriage because it's too hard to hold on, hold fast. Let us hold fast like the Bible says. Mm. Because you're one flesh. You're together. Well, if she wants to go that way, I want to go this way. Sit down together. Open the scriptures and let's come to a logical conclusion. Will we serve the Lord? But she don't want to or he don't want to. Well, that's what you get for getting married to unequally yoked in the first place. And that's a whole nother sermon. We didn't got there because that's not in the text tonight. But in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each man, one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that he respects her husband. This morning we spoke about Jesus calling His and they'll know that you're His disciple by hearing the Word of God and doing the Word of God. The Bible says pray for your neighbor and your wife or your husband is your nearest neighbor. But we ain't getting along. What else says pray for your enemies. Amen. Either way, you're going to pray for him or her. Pray for them. Pray for them who spitefully use you if that's describing your marriage. If that, your marriage is on the rocks, let it be the rock of ages. Trust in Christ. I have to be careful how hard I preach about this because then God's going to test me. But Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting in your grace. I'm trusting in you. So he says that the husband is to love his wife as himself. That's the thing about me. And we're so arrogant. We want to know uh, what about me? What about I? What about number one? Me, my. That's a Toby Keith song. If y'all don't know who he is, praise God. He's just a country singer and he had a song. I want to talk about me. Men usually want to talk about themselves if they talk at all. Amen, ladies. <laughs> but if they, if they ever want to talk at all. But here, that, that's the thing is, we look in the mirror. We love us and me. We love us and us. But we're to love our wives as we love ourselves. Cherish her. We cherish our bodies. We take care of us. And we also see that the women is to respect her husband. Understand that his position is hard and you wouldn't even want to have it. Even though many tried to elbow their way up into the front seat whenever they say, well, I can drive better than him. Or I don't mean that physically. I mean that in life. I, I can take the wheel and just make all the decisions. I can be the quarterback. We complement each other according to the Bible. The woman is a help meet. That she helps him meet his goals. Help lead. Help come along beside. But here we are. Where our egos gets in the way and think, I can do it better. And not do like Jesus said whenever he was in the garden. He says, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. God puts you where you are for a reason. Maybe it's to slaughter that pride. Maybe it's to show you you ain't as big and as bad as you thought. This is what a godly marriage looks like. And if yours don't line up to that, thank God for grace. Start working that way. I, as I lead, leave here tonight and I start driving towards Smithfield or I start going towards Goldsboro, I, I would look for a sign. A sign that says so many miles this way. I'm not there yet. I'm not at Goldsboro. I'm not at Smithfield. But I'm going in that direction. Whether you're single here tonight, or freshly divorced, or, or happily divorced, whatever, or you're miserably married, or happily married, if you want to be a, a biblical image, you want to be what God has called you to be, start walking in that direction. You ain't there yet, but he, He's working on you. And you see the signs even in yourself. You're less, you're less selfish. You, you're more submissive to God. And you adhere to what He says. You, you look in the rearview mirror and see where you came from. You're not what you were, but thank God that His hand is on you and you're still moving along. You, you follow the signs and wonders, whatever He tells us here. It's a wonder that you're, that you're single. It's a wonder that you're married. It's a wonder that you're divorced. It's a wonder that you're di divorced and God has kept you through it all. That's the wonder. Signs and wonders will follow those who believe. And that's one sign and one wonder. Amen. Say how I did that. Amen. Now we're going into chapter number 6. 
I will let you know that we're going to stop at chapter, chapter number 6, verse 9, because whenever, whenever we put on the whole armor of the Lord, I want to make sure we do that and we have sufficient time to go over it all because it's something that the Christian needs. You need to suit up every day, but we won't look into that tonight. Tonight, we're going to look at children and parents and how children are supposed to listen to the parents. Verse number 1 of chapter number 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice how Paul writes this. He says, children are obey their parents. It doesn't matter how old the child gets. It doesn't matter how old the parents get that we're to obey. But eventually, I, I will tell you, as we grow up, uh, the obligation to obey your parents will change, but the honoring will not. As we get older and they get older. The honoring is still there. But I want to pinpoint here. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, if you come from a background like me, I'm not throwing any shade on my family, but they hadn't always been in the Lord. But it was in the Lord is what the text said. I remember being in youth group very young, 17, 18 years old, and me and my wife have been together since that time. Uh, there was a youth teacher who was telling us youth, listen to your parents no matter what. And my wife, being opinionated, said, uh-uh. Not if my parent tells me to do something wicked. And the youth leader said, no, 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 you listen to it no matter what. And they had a, they had a shut down, throw out, he lost, I'm going to tell you. But anyway, uh, it, it, you'll see here it says, in the Lord. So if your parent has taught you to do wicked things, that does not give him authority, him or her, to have authority over you to do wicked things. Right. Let's be honest. I can do bad all by myself. I don't need to blame my parents for the things I do. Even they might have trained me to do some wicked things. I'm not going to keep throwing responsibility on them. So go ahead, whoever's still using that crutch. It's my mom and daddy's fault that I do this. I can't help it. You're grown now. That was you who did that credit. It was you who stole that. It was you who was doing those wicked things. They want mom and daddy. But we see here, in the Lord, for this is right. Christian, it's true that uh, for those children who will, who will do uh, and honor and respect their parents, it's true that they will live a little longer. Let's be honest. Because we know that here in the text, in verse number 2, honor your father and mother, for this is the commandment with a promise. We see that back in Exodus chapter 20 when Moses had this, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments given to him on, on these stone tablets. There was a promise attached to the promise of honoring your mother and father that you would live a long life. Well, I, I, had, a, I had an issue with this commandment. I just didn't want to do what they told me to do. <laughs> and it's a wonder that I'm alive still. But it's true when godly children adhere and honor the mother and father, they do live longer. Hey, I wouldn't hang out with them people. Hey, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go over there. I would, hey, let me give you some advice, son. But we see here the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you might have a long life in the land. I had the privilege of having many brothers. I had a lot of brothers ahead of me. It seemed like there was more than three ahead of me. It, was, there was a, it seemed because of the way they lived. I got to watch how they lived, and I just thought, well, that was dumb. I'm not going to do that. So thank God. If you're the oldest in the family, I'm, I'm sorry. But you've got to find out all the mistakes on your own. You've got your own licks on your own head because you earned them. But you can learn from other people's mistakes by watching, and I had that blessing. Well, we see here that it may go well with you. If you honor your mother and father, the Bible says it will go well with you. Well, it ain't going well right now. Why not, why not listen to your mother and father and honor them and respect them? I just can't sit in the same room with them. I understand. Honor thy father and mother. Respect them. I will let you know that it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 29 through 32, for those who are scribbling notes, Romans chapter 1, verse 29 through 32. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it to you. For they will be filled with malice of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, malicenessness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty and boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Here, Paul 
reiterates to the Ephesians again in the book of Romans that those who do not honor their father and mother, it ranks right up there with gossip, slanderers, haters of God, boastful and inventors of evil. They're disobedient to the parents. I know a lot of y'all are saying, I wish I brought my grandkids. I wish I brought my neighbor's kids. I wish, but let it, let it fall on your garden of your heart. Because in our society, we have a tendency to take the people who raised us and reared us up when they get old, to call them obsolete and stick them in a home somewhere and not honor them. In some societies, it will be considered abandonment. In the Chinese society, they actually bring in the matriarch, patriarchs of the family, bring them in. And those that, that will rear, that reared up the children, the children take care of them. Oh, that's biblical. Even in a communist nation, they get it. But in our nation, where we're so busy trying to hustle and considering the elderly as getting in the way, we consider them a hinder instead of a blessing. The Bible tells us to honor our mother and fathers. Maybe you don't want to hear that, but you came on the wrong night because that's what the Bible says. Says, honor thy mother and father. Even though you might have matured and you don't have to obey them because you're grown now, you're paying your own bills, you got your own mortgage, you drive your own car and you buy your own clothes. But the Bible says that we honor them. And the truth be known that many of you here wish that you had a parent still with you that you could honor. And truly that some of you here wish you were being honored as the way the Bible tells it. Where's the fall? fall? Falls in the pulpit. We don't preach it enough. It's not that we gather up all the kids on youth Sunday, dra drag them up to the front, and I yell at them over and over. Maybe some parents will be happy about that, but there's obligations for the parents later on in the chapter as well. It don't just fall on the children. We don't beat them in obedience. We're after their hearts. There's a reason. The reason society is the way it is. Men aren't even deserving of honor in our society anymore. When I go to prison ministry tomorrow night, because it's my night, second Monday, I'll meet men there in the prison who have 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 children. Really? I'm, I'm, I say, really? And that's just the ones they consider theirs. They might have more. This is no joke. I speak to them about them. I say, can you name some of them? They, some of them they know the name, some of them they don't. But that's why our society is in the state it's in. Because they lock up the daddies. And the children don't have anybody to show them. And they don't have anybody to honor. So who do they honor? The one on the, the phone telling them to, to lie, cheat, and steal. The one on the television telling them this is how you are a man. This is what makes you a man. Because they don't have a man. Right. Who is the woman going to respect if the man is doing disrespectful things? How's the man going to love her if he's locked up in a group full of men who already didn't have fathers themselves? Right. And it comes down to the pulpit. I blame the pulpits. I blame the preachers. Preach this truth. That's why the family matters. That's why we have Ephesians and we're at the family table now. I ain't got no kids. Well, you know how kids should act now. You know what to look in godly men now. So when men show up here at the river and they're broken, you know why they're broken? Because of society. And you know what standard God has called them to be. And you help them along to be what God has called them to be. In a room, in a, room, in a church full of a lot of women, that when I came here there was a lot of ladies. But over the time, men have started to come. Because I started to preach to them before they even got here. And now they're coming. So ladies, you know what to pray for those men about. Amen. We see here, that we are still to obey. That it will go well with you. And God ranks disobedience to parents really high. He hides it up with boastful inventors of evil, foolishness and heartless and ruthless. But we see here in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 10, Listen my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be minty. It's not just here in Ephesians. We see it in Proverbs chapter 10 verse 27, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. That those who don't honor their mother and father, their lives are cut short. 
Hey, I, I wouldn't smoke that. I wouldn't go and associate with that part of town. I wouldn't go over there and take that job. I wouldn't just sacrifice my days and my times just to make a dollar and not to have a living. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks a father, that scorns obedience to a mother, will be put out by the ravens of the valley and will be eaten by vultures. Wow, can you get any more graphic than that? But that's what the Bible says. While we may outgrow the call to obey our parents, we never outgrow the obligation to honor them. You are blessed today if you still have your earthly mother and father. You are blessed today if you have children who should be blessing you. And they don't, they don't necessarily do that. Well, that gives you something to pray about, don't it? Father, I know I'm owed respect and honor, and I'm not receiving it. Well, you might feel a little bit like Jesus, wouldn't you? Truly, we treat Jesus like we're a bunch of teenagers. Maybe you got a teenager in your life, or maybe you remember those teenage years growing up, or having teenagers in your household. Randomly, you hear a door slam and somebody goes, <sighs> and roll their eyes. They'll ignore you and deny you that you even exist. However, when they need something, all of a sudden you're a priority. We're all a bunch of teenagers to God. We roll our eyes at Him, at His statutes and His commands. But when we find ourselves needing something, Father God, it's me again, standing under need of prayer. Here I am, Lord. Hey, big guy upstairs. If you call him big guy upstairs, it's because you don't know his name. Whew. That's how I always can tell if you start out of prayer. Hey, big guy, it's me. You don't know him like you should. Like a child cries, Abba, Father, who longs for his father. Amen. Don't get me started on that. But here, he tells us, fathers. Now he tells daddies. Do not provoke your children to anger. I know about this. I'm not casting blame on anybody, but I, I know what it's like to be provoked to anger. Here he tells a warning to the fathers. He, he tells them, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice he don't say to mothers, because usually, uh, don't get me wrong, if there ain't a man around, the child's got to blame somebody, so he'll blame the mother. <laughs> Let's be honest. Fathers do not provoke because here Paul is assuming in Christian household there's a man. There's a man that's leading his household well. He's assuming. That's a given. If you're a Christian man, listen to me. If you're a Christian man, you're single, find a wife, get married, have babies, and lead them to Jesus. That, that's the, wow, that sounds so archaic. That's so old-fashioned. Did you know a couple of years ago I would laugh whenever they, I heard that the newest trend was putting uh, their dogs, I love dogs, don't get me wrong, and, kit, and their kitty cats, put them in baby Bjorns and, or put them in swaddles and, or, and walking around with their dogs and call them fur babies and love their animals while they abort the children. I, I saw one time a, a, a woman carrying a poo-poo-foo-foo poodle on her shoulder but put her, put her child on a leash and he was just running around crazy, hyperactive. And we would laugh about that in our society, but that's what we, what we sowed. Right. Where's the man? Here he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. How would a father even provoke his children to anger? There's many ways you can provoke your children to anger. You can have a high standard. I expect this. And you're not living it up. You're not living up to the standard. You can then neglect. Well, first, before you, we go any further, he, he says, uh, provoke them to anger. Uh, let's use a biblical example. We can be like Jacob, who he actually loved one of his children more than the others. And he let everybody know it by giving them the coat. They ended up beating him and throwing him into a pit. Whose fault is that? Well, we know that God is in His providence. He had a hand in everything. But if Jacob didn't show that kind of favoritism and put so much burden on that child to be hated by his brothers, that's one way that we can provoke children to anger. What's another way? Well, we can see that David was absent. With Absalom, we can see that he neglected him. Remember First and Second Samuel? Absalom wanted to see the king again after he fell. But the king wouldn't have anything to do with Absalom. And it stirred up wrath and anger in Absalom. He wanted to kill David. Of course, God's hand and His providence was in all of that. But here, it's a warning to fathers to not provoke your children to wrath. Don't press their buttons for the sake of pressing their buttons. 
I've heard of one father one time who put his toddler on the counter and said, All right, baby, jump to daddy. The toddler, of course, listening to daddy, jumps off the counter. The father lets him fall on the ground. And he looks at him and says, That's your first lesson. Don't trust nobody. If anybody should have called him, it would be the father. Provoking your children to wrath. Maybe those who have a little silver in your hair and your children have grown, you can see where you provoke your children to wrath. You don't have to keep doing it either. You can start mending, start healing. It's a lot easier to train and teach children than to fix broke men. Amen. So start today the healing process, fathers. Mama, start today. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't stir them up. Don't, let, don't continue to compare them to each other. You're not meeting my standards. Don't provoke your children to anger. But this is what you do. You bring them up. That's what it says. The text here says you bring them up. In the original, it says to bring them up means to nurture them. You are tender with them. Bring them up. You're not to treat them harsh. Even though your life might have been harsh. Maybe you came up a different way in a different time. But here God has put a command on you to bring them up in the discipline. Not to beat them. I will let you know that Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. Discipline. For grandmas and grandpas who have grandbabies who don't go to church anywhere, bring them here. This is a good training ground. We have mature Christians who understand that baby girl or baby boy is going to play with cars on the pew and go while the preacher's preaching. We understand that little children will run up and down and we'll say, baby, walk. And we might have to say it more than twice. We understand that we're mature Christians. So this is the best place to bring your children, to train them and discipline of the Lord. Because there's not a lot of churches that will put up with that. Oh, the young kids has got to go. They're in my seat. They got to go. They're too loud. They're just making too much. I can't even hear the preacher. If you want to hear the preacher, move up closer. I ain't that quiet. I mean, I'm pretty loud. But bring them up in discipline. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32, He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. That's why you should hear the preacher today. Bring the children to the Lord. That's why Jesus said, Deny not, deny not the little children come to me. It's weird that families will stand out in front of their houses Bright and early, 6 a.m. in the morning, put their children on a yellow bus and send them off to Caesar. And they come back acting like Romans. But they won't bring them to church on a Sunday or Wednesday. They don't bring them to Jesus whatsoever. They'll sit them in front of a TV eight hours a day to watch whatever the world pours in. But they won't bring them to Miss Dana to have them learn about Jesus. And how we uh, as preachers and youth teachers and, and, and deacons and the denomination are able to contend against that. Hours of indoctrination of that God does not exist. We evolved. And they, they hear that all day. And they come to church on a Sunday, maybe a Wednesday, and we tell them that Jesus rose from the dead. And they roll their eyes and we wonder why the church is in the state that it's in and why the culture is going sideways. So where does it begin? It don't begin here in the church. It's not my job to train and teach your children and to tell your grandbabies that Jesus died on the cross for them. That's your job. It begins out at home. You're supposed to open your Bible at the house and read it together. Serving God together at the family table. That's why Ephesians gets all up in your grits and dance all over the table. And you might find out I'm a little passionate about this. I, 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 I'm for more than just coming to church on a Wednesday and a Sunday. And the rest of the week, whatever. It begins there at the home's fathers. Don't provoke them to wrath, but nurture them up. Nurture them up in instruction and discipline of the Lord. Because believe it or not, grandpas, you're teaching them something. Daddies, you're teaching them. Uncles, you're teaching them something. Proverbs 18, Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. 
Do not set your heart on putting him to death. That means not disciplining your children. He don't need a best friend. He can get a best friend around the corner. You're his only daddy. Whew. Well, I don't have any little ones anymore. So when they show up here, be a mama or a daddy because you might be the closest thing to it. Because many kids today don't even know who their daddies are. Many times they don't even know who their mamas are. Y'all know there's a hope center for women just around the corner. And their children are lacking a mama right now just like the hope center for men are not seeing their children. And those are just the ones we know about in our society and culture. How many children do you know don't see their mamas and daddies on a consistent basis? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Mama and daddy, show your way, show the way for your children to go, but go that way yourself. Where does this begin? Does it begin at the board meeting? Does it, when we have our, our business meeting come together, we vote on this? Or does it begin when we come together with the, the conference and we all talk about this? Or does, that, the, does it begin tonight when we're just casually speaking over it? Or does it begin in the heart of the fathers, leading the households, and then leading well? I know God is sovereign, but man is a free moral agent. That means you're responsible. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, well, I, I, all my children are grown. But you still have a voice in their life that nobody else has. They don't honor me like they should. That's okay. We ain't there yet. But we can start going that direction. That direction. Even if you start speaking biblical things to them and, and don't criticize them and, and conjuring up wrath in them. Even if, they, even if you, you start speaking peace, mercy, and forgiveness and grace to them and they don't change the way they speak, you continue to do what's responsible before you because God has put the ball in your court. Now you are responsible. You won't stand before God on judgment day and say, well, it's their fault, Lord. It's their fault that I did it the way I did it. You are responsible. You will stand before God. Oh, you're making it personal. Yeah, it's personal. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you don't know what the discipline and instruction of the Lord is, I will start getting a shovel and getting deep into God's Word. It's not too late. Your children are up and around doing their jobs, growing up. Some may be small and some may be grown, but it's not too late to instruct them in the way of the Lord. Still, now, today. Amen. You know that's true. Feel it in your soul and in your bones. You know it's not too late. I don't have all my own kids. You got your neighbor's kids. You got your co-worker's kids. You got people in our congregation's kids that you can still instruct and be a godly influence on it. You have no idea how many people here who speak into my children's life and you make a difference in them. Just the kind things you say and do. And I will never forget it. Thank you. Continue to do it. It's an honor to be able to raise my children here at the river with such godly people who speak godly things to them instead of tearing them down. Thank you. See, y'all going to make me cry up here. That ain't even part of the, minute, the, the sermon tonight. But now we shift gears as we go into verse number 5 as we talk about bond servants. Now, those who are proponents and enemies of the, the Bible and Christ, they'll use this part of Scripture to say, see, Christianity is old-fashioned. It approves of slavery. I, I bet y'all got plantations and all kinds of slaves. I can't believe that you're, you serve such a bigoted God who, who approves of slavery. Well, let me give you some biblical understanding and, and set the frame here. In Ephesus, you must understand it was one of the Roman providences. That means it was ruled over by Rome. And in Rome, there were 60 million slaves. That's why we have such books like Philemon, who was talking about a slave. And here, Paul is talking to slaves. He's talking to slaves and slave owners. So we must understand, in a society like uh, Ephesus, they had a lot of slaves. But it was not like a, the American slavery that we've known for the last 400 years, where they treated people like property. 
In, in biblical times, there was not uh, there was not social security. There was not there was not uh, unemployment. There was not Medicaid and Medicare. If you were on your own, you would many times a single man or a woman, you would sell yourself as a bond servant, which is the text you'll see if you're looking at the ESV in Ephesians chapter number six, verse number five. King James has bond servant or slave as well that they would sell themselves into a household and there they would serve that they would work there and they were not treated like property they were treated like people in fact in the Roman Empire that many people could work in a in society who were slaves who were owned by a master they could actually buy their citizenship through a lifetime of paying to the government until they're able to buy citizenship but it was not rare in the Roman Roman Empire for uh, uh, for a, a slave to not be physically in the house of the person who owned them they would own a business they would own slaves themselves and whenever you were responsible for bond servants or you brought a slave into your house you were responsible to clothe them to take care of them if they got sick to watch over them to give them a fair wage it was not like the America slavery that we know now where they held people in bondage and beat them every day to pick the cotton and make sure they make the, the cornmeal and, and just own people like they were livestock that's not biblical slavery here to understand this poor of text, it really falls along in our American culture, a man who is employing people who work under him, or a woman who is a CEO and has employees that work under him, so we can understand it better now with those, those, those bifocals on as we read the text not to come to it with a, already a bad idea of slavery. Now I'm not saying that American slavery is good. I'm telling you, in context of what we're looking at here, whenever we look at bond servants and masters, we look at the relationship between one who owns a person and how we are to deal with them and how they are to deal back. Look in verse number 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as, Christ, as you would Christ. Uh, uh, let me start breaking this down. Obey your earthly masters. With fear and trembling. The fear and trembling is not where you're shaking out of your boots and you're afraid and you're going you're to perform or you're going to get the beat down. That's not what this text means. That means you do it with respect. Why wouldn't you want an employee who didn't respect you? It's the position of authority. That Christian, if Paul were to write in Ephesus, don't listen to your masters. Rise up. Take life by the horns. Take what's, do a great reset. Redistribute the wealth. Tax the rich and call taxes, cause taxes to pay for all your debts until you're scot-free. There's no reason that we should have wealth like it is. Redistribute everything. Everybody should be equal across the board. Paul would be accused of trying to take down the Roman government. That's why we have Romans 13, that we should respect the government. Until it overreaches. Amen. Well, you need to understand here that Paul is not trying to change society. He's telling the bondservant to obey the earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. He's saying when you go on the job, do your very best as if you're serving the Lord Christ Himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 1, we see Paul echoing the same thing. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. That if you are a master and your, your, your servant was a, a Christian, you wouldn't say, well, I know his motive is to take me down and destroy me. Well, that means they're just reading Karl Marx the founder of communism, to take from somebody else to make sure everybody's equal across the board. No, the text says here that we are to show fear and trembling, respect to those who have authority over us on the job. So listen, Christian, you should be the most industrious Christian, the most industrious employee your job has because you respect them and honor them. This is what Paul is telling us. Because you do it as if it were Christ. You might say, well, 
I, I, I don't know if this feels like ministry. I'm called to ministry. Your ministry is to do your job and do it well. Martin Luther, one of my favorite theologians, who wrote the 95 Theses back in 1517. Y'all remember he started the Protestant Reformation. He said that the shoemaker doesn't necessarily glorify God by creating shoes and putting little crosses all over the shoe. He glorifies God by making shoes well. Now, no matter what God has put you in, what place that you do it for His glory. Respecting those who are your managers. Who those who employ you as if it were Christ Himself. Ooh. I guess, that why, I guess that's why men don't want to come here. They just don't want to come here. Because I put requirements on them at home. That they're to lead their household well. Then, it's got, then they got to work well. Man, men just don't want to do that. I understand. But I'm going to keep preaching it. And they're going to show up and Jesus is going to change them. He, does it, he says, with a sincere heart. I, I, I get the image of... Yeah, I remember when we were uh, in school, middle school, when we had to do that president fitness test. Boy, I hated that thing. We had to do those pull-ups and you had to run so much and you had to do so many jumping. I, I, don't, I remember that the, the, the high school gym teacher, would, he would tell everybody to get down and get ready to do push-ups. And he'd have his clipboard and he's just doing what's on the clipboard. He'll say, up... Down, up, down. And people will be doing push-ups. They were doing push-ups as long as he was there with the clipboard beside him. But the ones behind him just laid on the floor. Because I was one behind him. I was just laying on I ain't going to do all them push-ups because he ain't looking. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I did that. That's what he's talking about here. In verse number 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. As bond service of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. But we don't just do it for eye pleasing. Oh, hey, hey, general manager, here I am. Here I am. And he walks away and you're just leaning against something. You're not doing what, you, what they're paying you to do. Because he says, for the sincere heart. This goes down to the very ethics of who we are. Our work ethic now is being affected by our relationship with Jesus. If you find yourself tending to be lazy... Cry out to Jesus. Say, God, this is not the way you designed me. Because slothfulness is a sin in God's eyes. Ooh. I know a lot of people didn't like that, but it's biblical. Where's the verse? <laughs> if a man don't work, he don't eat. Hey, you remember that? I don't know where it is, but somebody can look it up real quick. He says, not by the way of our service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Notice Jesus always goes for the heart. Jesus rather have your heart than your wallet. He'd rather have your heart than your tithe and offering. Because if He has your heart, He's got it all. Truly, if He's got your heart, you've got it all. Amen. He says in verse 7, Rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man. Lord, I'm going to serve today on my job. I know I got to get up early. I got to hustle. But Lord, I'm doing this as unto you today. Maybe that'll change us with those Monday blues. Maybe that'll wipe that sneer off our face when we're sitting in traffic trying to get where God wants us to be. Lord, I'm serving you today. Notice how God wants all of us. He just don't want our church attendance. He wants all of us. He wants our work. He wants our resting. He wants all of us. Rendering service with a good heart, good will, as unto the Lord and not in man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bondservant, is free. Knowing that if I serve God, he sees it. I want to let you know that it is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus was coming to eat it. Or to spring clean the house as if Jesus were to be honored as a guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, and secretaries to type letters as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. Jesus ain't just content to have your worship. He wants your work. He wants your rest. He wants all of you. Here he says, Masters, do the same to them in verse 9. 
and stop your threatening, knowing that He who is both their Master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with Him. But you should not have to threat. You don't have to threaten to fire them. If you're someone who employs many people, minister well there. For God has put you in that place. And the livelihood of people hinge on your decisions. Be responsible. Be faithful as what He has called you to do. You see how it speaks to every area of our life now. It, it got in our bedrooms. It told us how to treat our spouses. It got in our nurseries and told us how to treat our children. It got into us and told us how do we treat our parents. It even tells us how we are to conduct ourselves on the job. I know there's many colleges that have Christian ethics. And it makes me laugh because what do you need Christian ethics for? If you're a Christian, you serve Christ and you're going to do what He commands. So you don't need a whole class on how to be moral. But see, when we come to the kitchen table of Ephesians, the kitchen table... We have a come to Jesus speech, uh, come to Jesus talk, and we, we know that Jesus affects every area of our life. Our understanding of who Christ is affects every area of who we are. Well, I, I, I'm single. I don't have a spouse. Like I reentered, like I, uh, like I want to remind you of what I said earlier. That maybe you're not married. Maybe your parents have gone, or maybe you don't have any children. But you know what to look for. And for the Bible to tell the, those who are older and mature in the church to raise up young women and show them how to respect their parents, the men to be godly as He commissioned us to do. That affects every area of our life. It's just not a weekend thing. We're not weekend warriors. We serve Him with all our being, all our hearts. We find all our identity in Christ. We serve on our jobs, no matter what our job is, with a sincere heart, not as people pleasers, but as we serve the Lord. No, I wasn't hired by your corporate uh, sponsor to come here and beat you and say, hey, whatever your job is, yeah, I'm going to do the best I can. Raw, raw, raw. I, no, this is Bible. This is God speaking to you. No matter if you're selling hot dogs on the corner or you're auditing books, no matter where you are in life, raising children, retired, whatever God has called you to do, you do it with a sincere heart as unto the Lord. Like I've told you, your pulpit looks different than mine. I have a wood podium. Maybe you have a steering wheel because you deliver packages. Maybe you're behind a computer screen. Maybe you're behind a stove and you're making meals for someone. Maybe you're sitting in a recliner with a cell phone in your hand and you can call people and check on them. Your pulpit looks different than mine. Not everybody's a preacher, but everybody's a richer. Let's bow our heads and pray.